and welcome to NSTA, the bus stop. This is the official podcast of the National School Transportation Association. I'm Kurt Mackison, Executive Director of NSTA, and welcoming today Dennis Rose, co-founder of Burbio at the tracking service. And Dennis has been a frequent guest on NSTA, the bus stop. So Dennis, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Weather's getting a lot nicer here in the Northeast. Feeling better. Exactly, exactly. Uh, starting to actually feel like spring up in the Northeast at this point. So, you know, I know that you've been on the podcast a number of times, but for any listener who might not have heard those previous episodes, can you tell us a little bit about Burbio? So Burbio is a data service that measures school finances and operations. Uh, we invested heavily in the industry over three years ago when COVID hit. We measured whether schools were open across the country. And we monitored that by scouring thousands of school district websites weekly for all sorts of things about their operating modes. And now we also uh, look at school budget, CapEx, stimulus spending plans, enrollment trends, uh, and more. So our major focus now that schools are back open are around school spending and operational trends as it relates to uh, the stakeholders, specifically suppliers, to K-12 and how they might use it to better service uh service the education industry yeah and that's uh really interesting that you you know you did the pivot um you know from school openings and thank goodness covid is in our rearview mirror at this point but um now kind of morphed into uh tracking school enrollments throughout the country i've seen some of your previous emails but for the listeners what are some of the trends that you're seeing with enrollment numbers so you know, there's there's sort of a, an expression I once heard at a trade show. I was sitting in one of those trade shows in an industry that I knew very well, and I was sort of zoning out, as you do at trade shows where you've been in the industry for a while. And someone said, we tend to overestimate the short-term implications of changes and underestimate the long-term ones. And I think with COVID, there's both short and long-term. And some of the longer-term ones, by definition, we're uh, still going to see. But what happened with enrollment is the immediate effect is that you see a decline, particularly in urban districts that were city districts that were uh, heavily closed during the COVID year. They are struggling with enrollment, and it's a, it's a nationwide phenomenon in terms of the in terms of what's going on with uh, the types of districts. And uh, and then you so you have people moving. So it's so a nationwide. There's 41 states have announced that uh, they are uh, they have. Uh, uh, decline that they, they, their enrollment for 2022-23, which is the best way to compare to what's happened versus last year. And you see the city districts um, have dropped by half a percentage point um, versus, uh, say, the suburban districts, which are up by 0.4. And that is more pronounced in certain states. California, in particular, um, is having a, a, a ter- ter- terrible time with enrollment, particularly in cities. And then there's cities like Chicago and L.A., uh, getting California that have that have had that. Um, so it varies a little bit by state. Um, you've got states like Texas and Florida where enrollment is growing. Uh, and then <clears throat> the, in terms of the actual, and uh, the, other, the other piece of the enrollment trend is kindergarten enrollment is dropping nationally at a slightly higher rate than you would expect. Um, and again, that's another, uh, another uh, sort of issue. It's down almost 1% versus a year ago from those 41 states. So you see enrollment shifting and dropping slightly. You also see in a bunch of states, they tend to be Republican, expansion of various types of school choice initiatives, everything from charters to scholarships 
uh, that allow students to essentially take the money that would otherwise be spent uh, spent on their public education and, and apply it to non-public education if the parents so choose. So you see school choice initiatives being introduced in a bunch of states that are going to affect uh, uh, enrollment as well. One of the major stories is going to be the city districts that are going to be facing school closures. Uh, in When I say closures, I mean it in the old school pre-COVID sense. They're going to be closing buildings over the course of the next 18 months due to enrollment decline. There's obviously an issue around the convenience of parents who want to live close to their child's school. But when you get into it, if a school doesn't have enough students, it can't provide the breadth of service or the kind of quality education that a district wants to provide. So that's going to be the real forcing issue behind consolidation is the ability to have the, the, the appropriate amount of services in a building. Um, you're going to see a lot of that. Again, in some districts, it's going to be some percentage of it where it's concentrated, um, but where it is, it's going to be quite pronounced. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so I guess I the question I have for you, Dennis, is in terms of some of this enrollment decline, is that a straight line with respect to loss of population? I know in the Northeast, we've seen a lot of out-migration from New York, New Jersey to, to Florida. Is that one factor? And does and I'm going to I'm going to double up on a question here, Dennis. Um, is homeschooling a part of this overall landscape? So Thomas D is a professor at Stanford, and he took a look at this, and he basically said that there. I hope I get this right. I think there were three big buckets that explain enrollment shift. One is, uh, or four maybe. One is uh, a migration people moving from California to Texas or from New York to Florida. Two is people sending their kids to private school. Third is homeschooling. And uh, fourth is he couldn't find the kids at all. Like he couldn't figure out where they were, literally. I'm being a little more colloquial when I describe that, but that's what the report said. Basically, we can't explain the enrollment decline because we, we can't figure out where the kids are. So it's a myth and it varies widely. It's not as simple as, students leaving and in any individual area to another part of the country. No, no one factor drives it. And it there's so much noise. And then you have the whole interstate, in, intrastate, like, okay, we're going to move from a city out to the suburbs and we're going to move from the suburbs to an exurb. So there's a whole bunch of that going on within states as well. So there's a lot of noise going on, but the four factors that I just cited, uh, the four things we can't find students <laughs> are, are, are the drivers. Does that make sense? Yeah, incredibly interesting. Um, but you know, especially that last, you know, uh, variable you pointed out with um, where where are the students? Um, now, Berbio has been tracking elementary and secondary school emergency relief spending. Can you tell us what districts have been spending these funds on? Yeah. So stepping back, ESSER three, it's called the Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief. There were two, ESSER 1 and ESSER 2 was passed during the Trump administration, and that, that, that money is, is, is almost all the spent. ESSER 3 was the largest by far, and it was a three-year, three-and-a-half-year uh, time limit to spend it. $122 billion, $110 billion of which 90% was sent straight to districts based on Title I. Districts really didn't start to spend the money until about nine months later. So the bill passed in March 2021. And it started to, they started to spend the money in December, in January of 2022, December 2021 to January 22. Why? They had to put the plans together. They had to get them approved. They actually put them on their website as part of the legislation. And that's where we examined them and we've examined 
uh, over 7,000 district plans representing almost over 85% of the students. So we know a lot about what was planned. So the money only started getting spent a little over a year ago. And now it's being spent um, a bit more rapidly. In terms of the kinds of things that are being spent, the biggest bucket is learning recovery. Learning recovery takes a lot of different, uh, a lot of different, uh, 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 can mean a lot of different things. It can mean buying curriculum. It can mean hiring teachers and staff to do tutoring. Uh, it can be uh, creating other types of academic programming. When you read one of these Esther plans, and we've read thousands of them, I would say they're quite good. You read them in plain English, and the districts describe what they're doing. And I say plain English because there's a lot of education documentation, which is very difficult for someone who isn't in the industry to understand mm -hmm. uh, what they're saying and or it's bundled together in such a way that you can't figure out what it is. However, if you try and roll up all 7,000 some odd of them or even more than that, you, you, you run into trouble generalizing because districts talk about things differently. But the learning loss is the biggest. Another big one is after school and extended day and summer programs. Again, there's a bit of overlap here because during after school and summer school, they're doing academic programs, but that's a big bucket. A third is a uh, HVAC facilities and transportation in that. By our methods, there's almost by, by our tracking, there's almost a billion dollars being spent against transportation by almost 2,000 school districts across the country in a variety of different initiatives. So the biggest ones are learning loss with a heavy mix of extended day in there and then HVAC and facilities. And then you get a bit less on things like mental health <clears throat> and uh, other types of technology purchases. But it's really wide. There's over 100 categories, uh, at least, depending on how you count them. And it's very, very varied, uh, depending on what the district wanted to do. So I think in those categories, you did mention, you know, staffing. So in, in terms of um, what districts have been spending these extra funds on um, relative to staffing, is that teachers or is it, you know, mental health professionals or, you know, can you categorize it? So categories would be full-time staff, part-time staff slash teacher's aides, then mental health professionals. And this is not necessarily in order, although perhaps it is. Right. <laughs> and then you've got, uh -huh. frankly, transportation and food, you know, food service people as well. So all sorts of staffing, the security uh, uh, personnel as well. Mm -hmm. The bulk of it is going to be teaching staff. And that teaching staff can either be full-time or part-time. And we're seeing districts in particular in that area adjust how they're spending the money, meaning they, they may have put in the budget 30 full-time teachers that they wanted to hire to be able to do something. And then they revise the budget a year later and say, we're not going to hire 30 full-time teachers. We're going to hire five and we're going to hire 40 classroom aides, which are part-time and we'll, we, we can be more targeted with them in terms of how they're helping students, et cetera, et cetera. So, so we see a lot of shifting around in terms of uh, how staffing is actually being implemented once you know, they, 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 they made their best sort of attempt and then, then they're adjusting on the fly. Right. And then the, the, the other categories, uh, as you mentioned, mental, mental health is a, depending on the district, it's actually a decent sized category in terms of the amount of people that's being spent because they, they, they are highly trained and qualified. So that's an area that's, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that as a category in a year or two as the funds expire, because there's been a bit of an, there's been an infrastructure set up in many districts around the issue of mental health that was not a line item before COVID. Almost right. everything else that's yeah. being, almost, yeah, almost everything else that's being done during Esther kind of existed before COVID. Like, I mean, you're, you're doing mm -hmm. it virtually, you're doing, you know, there's new tools, there's new innovations, but this idea of having, and then the second bucket actually is security as well. 
So you've got a lot of security people in the security piece as well, you know, walk in the building that didn't exist before COVID. So mental health and security are the two types of staffing that have been added where it would be interesting to see where that, how that takes out once the, the funding uh, expires. Yeah. And another tracking service that Burbio has been doing, I guess more recently, are school board meeting minutes. And I saw this in your last email, and I thought it was incredibly interesting. Can you talk about, um, first of all, you know, how you track it, and then what are the most common topics that folks are discussing or school boards are discussing? So, yeah, so we are, you know, we are, are we are being at, we, we were being asked by our clients to find out our, our whole objective, our whole mission is to find actionable information for suppliers who work with K-12. And school boards have meetings roughly monthly. Sometimes there's a month or two off, depending on the holiday or break or whatever. And they publish the minutes as part of their, you know, their public, their public organization. So we, 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 we've now, we've now, we are now tracking over 1,000 school board district meetings that make up over 50% of the K-12 population across the country. We have a minimum of three districts in every state. And we are expanding that. And we, what we do for clients is we search based on the terms that are being discussed. Sometimes it's competitor names. They want to know what they're being talked about. But, and there's a bit of that, quite a bit of that. But there's also initiatives. And so you'll see initiatives that have been discussed. The major area, the sort of the big umbrella area, is contract, bids, and funding is an enormous amount of, 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 of that being mentioned. Um, and then you have also academic initiatives. We see a lot of stuff around things like career and STEM and uh, various other issues. So, and there's two ways we think about this. The first is did did it did an initiative get mentioned in any given meeting? And then the the question is did it get mentioned at all over the course of the year? So what we see is that you might have a good example is HVAC. HVAC is mentioned in a little less than 20% of any given meeting in America far as we can tell. But over the course of the year, we find that over 75% of school boards will discuss the HVAC at least once. And that's one thing that happens. The other thing that happens is you'll see mentions of, of things like career or transportation, things like that, that'll show up periodically. But then all of a sudden, it'll show up a lot. Like you'll see it mentioned over and over again. I mean, that's a signal. So it really digs into sort of artificial intelligence and various ways in which we pull the information. But it really is a terrific initiative for our partners, and we expect it to grow because they want to be able to kind of understand what this is to talk about. The other thing, in addition to what they're talking about, of course, is when they are talking about it. So what we're starting to, you know, even with our first cut at it, you're starting to see certain times of year attendance comes up more, security comes up more. So there's sort of a that can be a seasonality to what it is uh, that the boards are talking about based on the, 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 the academic year. So. So we can kind of map that for a client. So we're, so we're in the early days of it, but similar to our other initiatives, we are going to be diving really deeply in and we're excited about what's going to show. Well, well, Dennis, a lot of great information as usual. And if folks aren't on the, you know, Burbio distribution list, Dennis, how can they get on there? Because um, I always, you know, at least take a peek in there and it's a lot of great information that you all provide. So where it's the Burbio School Tracker, we are on Substack, but if you type just type in 
uh, Burbio uh, school tracker into Google. You'll land at our website. It's about.burbio.com, but you'll, you can land it by Googling Burbio school tracker and you sign up for the newsletter. You get it. Uh, we do it basically weekly. As you noted, it is uh, not a sales piece. It is a content piece. Uh, it's widely read by folks in the policy and media community. So we try and create proprietary analysis that, that will be of interest to folks. Yeah. And like I said, a lot of great information and folks know information is power. So, um, you know, sign up for the uh, distribution list. Once again, our guest at NSTA, the bus stop, Dennis Rose. He is co-founder of Burbio. Dennis, thanks uh, again for, for joining us on the bus stop. A lot of great information. And, uh, you know, we'll get together soon. Great. Always great to catch up. Thanks a lot.